Hey everybody, this is Mike Paterno. I want to welcome you to Mostly Unseen with Jeff Boucher. I want to thank you for joining us. We're happy to have you with us today. Jeff is the pastor of Millpond Church. I want to let you know that any of these segments from our podcast will be accessible through our website at millpondchurchny.com. We're continuing in our Invisible Hand series, and we're continuing our exposition of the book of Daniel with chapter 2 with Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This book has a lot of prophecy and leading to messianic prophecies, and we're going to start to get into some of that tonight. With me, as always, is our host, Pastor Jeff Boucher. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Mike. It is uh, good to be in this series. Love this book. This was my favorite Bible, you know, book when I became a Christian, and only because, and and probably the reason for that is I I became a Christian in 1979 during the you know tail end of the Jesus movement. Mm-hmm. I think it was the tail end, you know, but there was great spiritual fervor. Not that I saw any of that in my locale. I, I grew up in a very Italian, very Catholic area, so. Um, when I was introduced to it, really it was in 1979, and um, it came, you know, to me not through my church, but outside that. And so, you know, it was just amazing into the early 80s when I was really, you know, after I, I came to know Christ, and I'm, you know, hearing people talk about all these prophecies and Jesus coming back, and there's going to be this great tribulation, and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and you're like oh my god it's like you know you're you're panicking and it, it was like crazy and uh so the, the return of christ was being talked about across most denominations mm. and there were prophecy conferences you know left right and center and i attended a number of them and was just so amazed at how detailed the bible was mm-hmm. in talking about you know the future and so so i got a little bit excited i got caught up in that fervor of like wow and it was great to be able to tell people you know do you know jesus is coming back do you know you know what's gonna happen and then you hear people talking about the antichrist and you're, and you're like oh my gosh and, and it's so much funny i got a funny story so you know i probably told you in the past that i i i got certified as an emt right mm-hmm. an emergency yep. medical technician i rode a local um ambulance squad in east hanover for a number of years. And then I also rode the, what was called at the time, the MIC unit, which is the mobile intensive care unit, gotcha. where paramedics were there. I was a driver in EMT and I would help do triage, uh, drive the, the vehicle and stay in communications with, you know, sheriff's communications and so forth. So in doing that, <clears throat> it was like, I, I became an EMT because I was scared that war was gonna break out in such a degree worldwide that huh. I wouldn't know what to do with all the people like dying. I mean, I might be dead, but if I wasn't, would I know how to help somebody? And I, I had no idea. So I went and learned that, which was a great thing to have anyway. <laughs> and then of course you grow out of a little bit of that, but you know, and so I, yeah, and I, I, I renewed it and so forth. So I spent about eight years doing that. And, uh, and that was a really kind of fun part of my life, but that was the, the etymology of it, right? The oh, beginning God, of it. Yeah. And anyway, there are times in history that God reveals himself very powerfully. And chapter one, we had an introduction to the book of Daniel. And we saw some really cool things in there. Like, you know, chapter one, verse eight is that key verse where Daniel makes a stand against what the king was 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 asking and demanding. But he was careful, as we discussed, about how to make that demand. And so, but he drew a line. And, and I love that because... There's a great message in that, in in this. 
It says, Daniel determined ahead of time, basically, not to eat of the king's food or drink the king's wine. This was his way to say, you're not going to indoctrinate me to lose even my faith. Mm. So he wanted to follow the laws of Moses, and he was going to somehow do this. But he did it in a very diplomatic way. But it, it, it is clear. He determined in his heart. If many of us did the same thing Daniel did and determined in our hearts before sin ever shows up, then I'm not going to be involved. We'd have a whole different picture of the church today. Right? So anyway, God reveals himself powerfully when he needs to change the course of world events. And why would God need to change the course of world events? Because God is effectuating his plan. He is carrying out a plan. And if mankind is not going with the program, God has to show up. Or if a major shift has to come for some reason, he comes in power to make it happen so that he can complete his plan and keep it all on track. So a couple of examples of that. You know, when God created the earth and he created Adam and Eve, he gave them a couple of commands. Do you remember any of them? Yeah, don't eat from the, the tree of knowledge. Don't eat from the tree with the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, what else? <clears throat> How about be fruitful? Oh, yes. And? Yes, multiply. And? Um, he told them to cultivate the land. Spread out over the face of the Take earth. Take dominion over, yeah. Yeah, spread out the earth, over yeah. the face of the earth. But you were right on that part, too. Another one was, you know, the take take dominion over the earth. So God put man in his stead and he wanted him to spread out, be fruitful, and multiply. So what's the first thing we see them doing? Gathering together, not spreading out, trying to build a tower up to the heavens. Babel, yeah. Right. So what does God have to do? He has to show up in power. So everybody at that point spoke one language, which would make sense. But now he comes down and he confuses the languages. Now they couldn't stay together. People couldn't communicate with each other. People couldn't understand each other. So they had they were forced to push away from each other, which means they were forced to spread out mm -hmm. over the face of the earth. So God did, you know, a, an incredible thing by doing that. Powerful thing. So <clears throat> then, you know, another example um, would be Pharaoh and Moses in the ten plagues. Well, what was going on there? Well, God brought Israel up to Egypt to save them from famine, to make their lives less Bedouin and much more domesticated so they could raise crops and livestock and so forth. And they came into Egypt at a time that God had prepared a way for them through Joseph. And so the, he gives them, Pharaoh gave them the best of the land. You know, they took care of it, but they were separated from the rest of the Egyptians. Now, in doing that, right, time went on, and that Pharaoh died, and Joseph died, and, and a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph, did not care about the deals Joseph made, and started, and he realized that all these Hebrews, these Jews, are growing and multiplying. Well, they might be able to overtake us one day, so we're going we're gonna to put them into forced labor. So the Pharaoh put a heavy yoke on their back, made them, you know, slaves, and it was very, very, very difficult. And that they were there for a total of 400 years. And they always believed that what Joseph told them is one day mm -hmm. they would leave. Mm -hmm. And that that day was coming. 
Well, we know that Moses, the story of Moses, I won't get into that tonight, but he grows up in Pharaoh's household, but he's a Jew. And what happens? Joseph one day decides, he can't take this, whatever the deciding factor was, we don't know. But he, he instead identified with his own people instead of the Egyptians. And he ended up in defending some of the Israelis, the Israelites, he killed an Egyptian. And it was found out, he panicked and he fled. So here's Joseph, grew up in Pharaoh's house, the best education in the world. He learned the art of war. He learned architecture. He learned all these crazy things. And now what do you think Moses is thinking? He's a shepherd now. Now I'm, I'm out of the plan. <laughs> I'm out of the plan. What a waste of time. I learned all that for nothing, but it made me who I am, right? So God shows up and says to Moses after 40 years in the wilderness, I want you to go. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And we know the story there. And if you don't know it, you know, read Exodus. But all of us that have read it, we know this, is that God showed up in power through 10 plagues and freed his people and brought them out of Egypt and brought them to the mountain of God, right, Mount Sinai, in order for them to worship and to continue on God's plan of entering the promised land that they were to inherit. So he does it in power when he needs to change things. So world powers, doesn't matter. You know, God can bring anybody down. Mm -hmm. And the scripture's clear that that's exactly what he does. Mm -hmm. So that is really, you know, pretty, pretty powerful. And so let's think about this now. <laughs> There's many more examples I could give, but I want to read Daniel 2. I want you to read it, actually. Mm -hmm. And I want you to read it right through. Okay. And as you do, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look and we're going to break it down after that. Okay. So starting in chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamt. When they came to him and stood before the king, he said to them, I have a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping that the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king is asking. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him, spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, 
Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained <clears throat> the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for more time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's their Babylonian names for a later time. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, author called Belteshazzar, Are you still able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as though you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty, you may know the interpretation, and you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, and its chest and arms of silver, and its belly of thigh of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet of iron, and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces, and became like the chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory in your hands and has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over all of them. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks and smashes things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united, 
any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will be crushed. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the version of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him the ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all his wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators of the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Okay, good reading, a lot of reading, right? It was good. Yeah, it was good. So there's a lot to look at here. So, you know, and like every other Bible study you'll ever do, you're never going to exhaust what you can find in, in these chapters, right? But we're going to hopefully give people enough to, to really consider and, and dive deeper you know, on. So just a recap of what's going on here. Daniel and his friends. So, it, you know, and if you didn't catch the first, you know, or the, the last one we did where we talked about this in the Invisible Hand series, in the beginning, we give a, you know, a little bit of background. So the King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He comes down, long story short, he comes and he just, he has three different times he attacks Jerusalem. In 605 BC, which is the time that we believe Daniel was taken from his home between the age of 14 and 16 years old. He was part of the nobility because Judah was left. Mm. And Judah was, you know, had many of the nobles in it because it was the king's family from King David all the way down, all the way through the generations. So Daniel somehow was connected to the nobility and as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So as they were taken... You have to put yourself in their mindset. The Jews, when Solomon built that temple around 900 or so BC, we're now in 605 BC. We're about 275 years later, right? The 300 years later. And God's presence was in that temple because God came down in the midst of it. So he said, I will dwell in the midst, not in the individual in the tabernacle, the portable tabernacle, then into the temple itself. So from the time of Moses all the way down to King David, it was a tabernacle. Kings, you know, then King Solomon built the temple all the way down to this moment in history. So the Jews never thought this temple could be destroyed because God would protect his own temple. Even if the people, you know, got worse in their behaviors, God would never do that. They were wrong. God promised through Moses that if the people continue to sin, he would raise up foreign kings and bring them against them. So, and God had done that. In fact, the 10 tribes, right, of Israel were taken captive 120 years or so before this. And in 722 BC by Assyria, Babylon ended up with the Medes conquering Syria, Assyria, and then Babylon now is in great power, attacking Egypt from time to time. And every time they do, they got to come through that 
that area. So this is what's going on. Daniel's taken to the first deportation. Then there's the second one. Then on the third one, Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple, takes all the articles of gold and silver and bronze and everything out of the temple and brings it to the temple of his God, showing all people that whose God is bigger? Nebuchadnezzar's. Now, it would be easy for a person in that day, for a Jew, to think Nebuchadnezzar's God is bigger. Because how did God, how did this happen? They may not have yet fully understood it was because of their sin. But in chapter 1, in verse 2, I'll just remind everybody that we get the glimpse of the invisible hand, the mostly unseen part of what we talk about. And what was it? It wasn't the King, Neb King Nebuchadnezzar came and took him. But what does that verse say, Mike? And the Lord delivered Jochahim. Jehoiachim. So Jehoiachim, sorry, my eyes. King of Judah to his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. Who delivered him? The Lord. Delivered him to Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Mm -hmm. Now, does Nebuchadnezzar know that? Nope. No. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's doing it, right? So here's the invisible hand. Then God unfolds, and then we're, we, we come to know it truly was him. So what I want to talk about now, that's the history. You know, hundreds, thousands of people were deported, ultimately. Temple destroyed. Other people moved into that area. It is over. It is done. And here they are in Babylon, again, under, uh, you know, the, you know, mighty hand of another people group, and they are just beside themselves. Okay. That's where we pick up. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to totally indoctrinate them, change their language, change their understanding, change everything, change their names, you know, get rid of their gods and make them follow the Babylonian gods. Daniel stands up in chapter 1, and now we have something going on here. So the king introduced an educational period of three years, kind of like college. And all these nobility were put into that class, um, trained for three years, and then they would be tested at the end. And it says that at the end of chapter 1, they were tested, and none were found like Daniel. The king himself tested them. And none were found like Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, they had a lot of wisdom. So right now, King is looking at that as natural wisdom, smart kids, picked up our culture and everything very quickly. He puts them on the council of these astrologers, magicians, Chaldeans, all these different people. So they're on there. as We'll call them sages for the moment, right? Whatever we want to say. So <clears throat> Daniel, in the midst of all this, right, or the king rather, has a dream. And that dream is so powerful, the king can't sleep. And he is just beside himself. So he calls all the council in. That could be anywhere from 60 to 360 people. And of all different kinds, soothsayers, diviners, and all kinds of, you know, people that read omens and, you know, people that read the stars and whatever it is. And the king gives him a challenge. Now, when he does this, and I'm going to, divert and give you a, a little bit more background in a minute but when this happens the king is you know just wanting to know he's desperate to know the interpretation but he's a crafty king and because he wants to know the interpretation he wants to be sure he gets the right interpretation so not only does he ask them to give the interpretation of the dream what does he ask them he asks them to give him the dream right Tell naturally, me what I'm thinking about. <laughs> naturally, if you can give me the interpretation, you can certainly give me the dream. And, of course, you read it. 
No, no, no king has asked these, you know, <laughs> their counselors to do that. So just give us the dream. We'll tell you what it means. Now, there were three exchanges between these guys. And I want to share this. This is written, and this is where I'm going to divert, which I think is really exciting. When we read the Bible, we read it as literature because that's what it is. Now, we believe it's divine literature. What does that mean? It's inspired by God. Mm -hmm. So God breathed this scripture. And that doesn't mean he dictated all of it. There were portions of scripture that God dictated, like the Ten Commandments. But there were other portions that he used the personality of the writer. And the Holy Spirit, you know, presided over that writing. And everything that was written came from God. But through the person's personality, the, the writer's personality. Now, what's going on? There are different kinds of literature. There's proverbial literature. There's epistolary, which is letters. There are songs, which are the Psalms. There's poetry. There are prose narrative. There's historical narrative. There are, uh, there's apocalyptic literature. There is a variety of literature. Well, one of the varieties of, of literature is something that we've come to know as court tales. Court tales. So like the king's court, what goes on in the court of the king? And, and these tales were not necessarily fiction. We think of a tale, we think fairy tale. You know, it's just a tale. No, it, it's tellings from the court. So this is going on in what... And so in Daniel, chapters 2 through 7 are court tales. And then things change. So all the way up to that change, these are things... And it's written in a certain way. But in, in Daniel chapter 2, it's written in, we're going to call it six acts. Now, we have examples of this throughout history. So this is not something new. This isn't like a, a new genre. This is what happened. Now, why is this important for us to be talking about? And a lot of people go, just give me the answer. Just tell me what they're saying. Well, I, I, you know the old saying, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I always try to teach how to fish. Here's another you know, expedition we're going on here to teach. So this is written in six acts. Why would we do that? That sounds crazy. I'll tell you why. You can go pick up your Bible and read it anytime you want. You can do it on your iPad. You can do it on your iPhone. You can do it on your computer. You can do it in your, you know, your, your paperback Bible, your hardcover Bible. You know, if you're like me, I got 25, 30 Bibles, you know, that I've collected through the years. Um, you know, so we've got access. Most people, especially those in captivity, most people do not have access because everything was written on scrolls, very costly to do it. It was all handwritten, no printing presses, no mimeographs, nothing. So you had to pay for it. So you had to be wealthy to, to get it. So you were, instead of reading the word of God most times, what were you doing? You were hearing it. You were hearing it. Now, that's a very different thing. We have a friend, Bob. Yeah. Bob can't see. He's blind. Now, I won't belabor this, but I didn't know Bob was fully blind when I first met him. Neither did I, because he's such a genius. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but not only is he a genius, I took him home one day. I thought he was blind up to this point. So I'm driving him home from church. And we're driving down the road. And he says, all right, just right up here, you know, around this bend, make, your, make a left. I'm looking at him going, 
which still bakes my noodle to this day. Yes, it was like crazy. Because <laughs> I drive them all the time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I look and I'm like, in my in my own self, I'm having a conversation. I'm like, oh, I guess he's not, maybe he's legally blind, but he can see some things. And so we're going and, and he doesn't act blind. He doesn't, you know, he walks with a, you know, a, a stick, you know, mm -hmm. to, to guide him. But you're thinking, okay, he just uses that. So then he goes, yep, I'm ready to slow down, come around a bit, slow down, make the left. I'm like, okay. I, I drive up. He goes, okay, just go up. It's going to bear to the right up here. And uh, so I'm following up, and he goes, okay. And then he goes, okay, right up here to your next left. So I'm like, okay. So I make the left. He goes, yep, just drive to the end. I'm on the left. I said, all right, Bob, thanks. I go back, and I talk to Pastor Jerry. and said, sure. Can Bob see? Because I, you know, can I see? He can see, right? He said, no, Bob's blind. And I'm like, wait a minute. I just drove the guy home. So I remember talking to Bob about it. Bob, I got to ask you a question. And he just smiled. He goes, I feel the road. I'm like, you what? He said, I don't have use of my eyes. Now, it dawns on me immediately because I know something about senses. Mm -hmm. I said, I know what's happening. Because you lost one of your senses, other sentence are, sentences are heightened. So he says, yes, I can feel the road. Something maybe you can't do at this point, but if you tried, you couldn't see, you would. And so I start thinking about this. I'm like, it's amazing. So now you can't read this stuff. What does it do? It heightens the other senses. Mm -hmm. And also god is superintending over all this yeah so there's yeah, literatures yeah. types of literature god uses man's brains as well so this was put into what's called court tales now a court this one happens to be six clearly laid out different acts like the acts of a play and i want to walk through them with us here's the first one it's the failure of the babylonian sages the wise men to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And that's 1 through 13. That's verses 1 through 13. So write this down if you're listening. Write it down and then go back and look at this. So what's going on here? Well, something happens here. There's three... There's, there's a conversation between the king and all of the wise men. The Caledonians are representing. And the king says, I had a dream. They say, great, tell us the dream. Uh, I want you to tell me the dream and I'll give you the interpretation. Well... No king has ever done that. Just give us the interpretation and we'll do that. So, you know, no, you do. And all of a sudden, now what's happening to a, a listener, we're listening and we're going, oh no, we were introduced to Daniel in chapter one. Where's Daniel right now? Where is he? He must be in the crowd. And uh-oh, you know, because, you know, it's the tension's building. Now it goes a little further and there's three exchanges between each of them. On the final exchange, and each time it gets a little more intense. intense. Right? And, and the, the king, king is, is now saying, saying you're bargaining, bargaining for time. You're, you're doing, doing this because you've been lying to me. You, you can't do this. And he already laid it out. Tell me my dream and its interpretation. I will reward you with all kinds of gifts. I'll do that. But if you don't, I will rip your bodies limb by limb out, you know, apart. I will destroy your homes, turn them to rubble, presumably killing their families. Mm -hmm. And so the stakes are not small here. Now, you as a listener, you're listening to this being read. And a good reader is, is giving you all the inflection, all the pauses, all the right moments. And what do you think is happening? It's like years ago before TV, they watched radio. Literally. 
We, no, you can't watch radio. Yes, the family would sit around and they'd stare at the radio because they were hearing. Now, I grew up at a time where that was still, you know, we had TV. My parents had, my father had TV. They got it when they were kids. Yeah. It came about that yeah. homeowners were starting to get it when they were kids. I don't think they did. But anyway, you know, so it wasn't it was new, but even when I was a kid, we had five channels. There were six channels. No, you know, then when cable came in, you got like 13 channels. It was like, holy cow. It was on a wire and push buttons. And it was like amazing, right? It was like crazy. So this was really funny. That, But none of that. So so you listen. Your, your senses were heightened. And I remember listening to like Alvin Costello on a radio program, different people. So, and later on in life, I did that as well. I got the old fashioned radios and, and yep. you put the cassette in. You know, so I would listen. This is going on. This is what's happening. There was one round from the king, one round from the sages. And ooh, ooh, they're asking more. And the guy said, well, we can't do that. Nobody's, no king has ever asked. Ooh, now the king is ratcheting up. Now they're ratcheting up because now they're panicking. Now the king ratchets up and says, this is it. And the king at the end of that says, you all are, are going to die. Oh, no. That was chat that was verses one through thirteen. Mm -hmm. You know what the people are thinking at the end of this? Oh no, how will the hero escape death? How will Daniel get out of this? Where is Daniel? So now we pick up in the second section. Second section, we're gonna call, you know, Daniel seeks and obtains the king's content and interpretation. So what's going on here? And you read all this. So Daniel hears about this. Apparently, he wasn't present. Maybe he was on the king's business, whatever it was. But all we know is that the king's council, which Daniel was a part of, but not present. Do you think that they called on their gods? The astrologers and everybody? Oh, yeah. They knew they were going to die. I'm sure they did. They pulled out all the stops. <laughs> they were looking at the stars. They were calling on the Babylonian gods. They were doing worship. They were pouring out libations. They were doing all this stuff. And as it was going... You know, everybody's in a panic. Like, what's going to happen? But we hear nothing from Daniel. So the silence of it is like building the tension. Nobody says he's away. If somebody said he's away, they're like, oh, okay. Nobody says it. We don't, all we know is he comes in and says to Arioch, the captain of the guard, he says, why is the king's command so urgent? What is going on? And he tells him. And he says, bring me into the king and let me get a time appointed and I will come back with this. So he got word to the king, and whether Daniel saw him himself, it's unclear, or <clears throat> Ariok himself took the message in, the king gave him more time. In this case, we know it was one more day. Or at least we know that the interpretation and the dream was revealed in that night. Mm -hmm. What does Daniel do? Now, it's very important. If you look at the beginning of that section, Mike, in verse 14, mm -hmm. what does verse 14 say? When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone to put, gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Okay, and when he did that, <clears throat> he 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 speaks to him. He bargains for time. All of a sudden, we know that he he gets this. He goes back home, and he grabs his three friends. And what does he say to them? He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Ah, so we're setting up a, 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 a duality. 
The wise men of Babylon who called on Babylonian gods. Daniel and his three friends who call on the God of heaven. What do you think people do? What's it sound like? Elijah at the mountain? Mm -hmm. Gather all the prophets of Baal. You call on your gods. I'll and what happens? And the lightning comes they down. They call on their gods. It yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> then he's up. Right? So people are thinking about this. They know of this history. Well, you know what? Who else tried to do this? Pharaoh's magicians. And they were successful a little bit mm. and then failed completely <laughs> and utterly and miserably. So much so that God says he judged all the gods of Egypt. And on the last one is when God says that's what he had done. And on the last one, who was also considered a, 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 a god? Pharaoh was. Pharaoh was. And so what person, what army, what god, what person could walk into Pharaoh's house and kill his son? Which would technically to them, to those people, be the next god. That's right. He was going to grow up to be the next god. So who just killed God? God killed him. God walked into his house. And what was that? That was the death of the firstborn. So God demonstrated, he, he laid out the judgment on all the gods of Egypt, including Pharaoh himself. So this is in the mind of the Jews, but they're in a really bind, big bind right now. Why are they in a bind? Because this is the worst that's ever happened. The temple itself was destroyed. You know, we reigned, King David reigned, he brought us the greatest peace the world has ever known. And Solomon enjoyed that peace. And then things fell. And so this is like a, a buildup. And you're getting, so act two comes where Daniel goes in and obtains the content of the dream. What happens? In the night, it was revealed to them. <clears throat> but now, and this is crazy, a new tension starts to build up in this section. Guess what? He didn't tell us the dream. We don't even know if he knows the dream because in that section, it says, go tell the king, I have his interpretation. Ariat goes in. And what does Ariok say? So the third section is Daniel witnesses to the God who reveals mysteries, right? Mm -hmm. So he witnesses on what God told him, and he reveals mysteries. So what does 24 say, verse 24? Then Daniel went to Ariok, the, who the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will inter interpret his dream for him. I will interpret it. What did the king ask for? He asked for the dream. Now we're our tension. Now you don't know the rest of the story. You're listening audibly. Now you're going, oh no, did they didn't get it do wrong? the right thing? Right. Did he get it wrong? So you're now back on the edge of your seat. And then what does Ariok say to the king? He says, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Means what his interpretation is. But he says something key in that sentence. Uh, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah. You already had all the people from Babylon and all the countries represented. But now, this one wasn't there. Now, we come in. I have found one among the exiles who can give the king his interpretation. Now I'm grabbing my head because I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. He's only going to give the interpretation. If he goes in there and gives the interpretation only, everybody's getting executed. So, the tension is building, and this is intentional in the genre of literature in the way it's written, because he wants. Now, do you remember stories that are told like this? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You'll go home and repeat this at the dinner table, right? Because it's so powerful. And we just had you read right through it with none of this stuff. Now, if we went back and read through, right, learning these, 
completely different read and pretend you, you're not reading it, you're hearing it. Have someone read it to you or you read it to someone with this knowledge. So now Daniel witnesses that, right? Then we get to Daniel recounting the dream. So what happens there? Read the first verse of that. And that would be, sorry, Mike. 31? That would be 28. Okay. B, the second half of 28. Okay. Um, sorry. Uh, your dream and the visions that passed through your mind were you lying in a bed are as these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer <clears throat> of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. Okay. Now, we're thinking he's about to reveal the dream. Now, a new tension builds. Why? He, like, takes a hiatus. He, does, he doesn't get into the dream. We're thinking he's going to get into the dream. What does he do? He tells him, he tells him that who revealed the dream to him. He stops and pauses. That's going to be really <laughs> important. And he says, I want you to know something. And this is a, a, the crux, the, 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 the middle of things. And he says, I want you to know something in that whole section. What does he say? He agrees with the right. That, that no one, right, no magician or diviner can. But he said, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Yes. So none of them could do this. I agree with them. You've asked a very big lift for them. They couldn't do it. They can't do it because those gods can't answer. But there is a God in heaven, the God, right, in heaven, that can reveal mysteries. Well, now we're all sitting on the edge of the seat going, we know, we know, but did you get the dream? Did you get the dream? We, we, we don't know that yet. And he says, let me tell you first who gets the credit. And he goes into this great blessing from God. But there's a very powerful piece in this section. And if you if you read that section in Daniel, and I'm going to pull it up because I got to remind myself of the exact verse. But if you if you go to the section that he's doing this in 21 to, you know, the end part, he actually says that. Well, first in his prayer, sorry, I'm going to back up. I, I, I skipped over this when when he received it in the night, he thanked the God of heaven. And do you remember what he said? Not that God knows tomorrow because he says, you know, if you think of this for a second, this is a big teaching of Daniel. He wants us to see that God's hand, his invisible hand, is at work all around us. So if God knows tomorrow, does that give you comfort? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Does it? Think about that again. If God, God knows tomorrow. God knows what tomorrow brings. Well, it's better, it's better that somebody does. <laughs> well, knowing it doesn't change it for you. True. He not only knows it. He knows it because... Because he, he made it that way. He made it that way. He controls it. Oh, so step back for a second. Go back to chapter 1, verse 2. And what do we find out there? The Lord delivered. The Lord caused this havoc. Why? That seems very unfair. God is a God of love. God's a God who who, who wants to, to bring us blessing. He's a God of truth also. He's a God of truth and he's a God of justice. So if if somebody, you know, you go to you go to court, you've been levied, you you you, you killed somebody in, you know, you were drinking a little too much and, and you killed somebody. And you know what's stacking up against you, right? So when you go into that court, you, you gotta, you know, people look at it and you go, What's wrong with that guy? He's got a smile on his face. Not not an arrogant smile, just a smile. 
what's he thinking? So when it comes to him and, you know, he's found guilty by a jury, and he's looking at the judge, and the judge says, do you have anything to say? You've been found guilty. Do you have anything to say before I pronounce your sentence? You know what, Judge? I know you are a good judge, a loving, loving man. And that you're going to, you know, have understanding and you're going to let me go. And you know what the judge is going to say? You got half of that right. I am a very loving man. And because I am, I must execute justice. Otherwise, I don't love all the people in this courtroom. I don't love the person who was killed. I don't love their family. I don't love them either. Because unless I'm going to be a just judge, I'm not a loving judge. But yet somehow we think when we get to heaven, God's just going to go, come on in. You know, you know. So unless people understand that they've broken the laws, then those laws are God's laws. And God is a just judge. Is God loving? Yes. So loving that he gave us his son, that we wouldn't have to spend eternity separated from him. But there's something that has to happen with that. We have to understand we broke God's law. Jesus paid a price that he did not owe. He, he paid a debt he didn't owe. I, I owe a debt I cannot pay. But if I receive Christ, and what that means is I have to repent of the broken law that I committed, of doing the wrong, and there's plenty to repent from. Right? So that's important. And this is what Daniel points out. In, in what verse? He points out that it is God, in verse 21, who changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives the wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things because he knows what's in the darkness. Why couldn't the Babylonian sages do this? Because their gods couldn't see into the darkness. Tomorrow is the darkness. They I was going to say their gods didn't even exist. Right. Exactly. So you look at that. And that's incredible. All right. We're going to run to David. He, he builds attention. Now he's thanking God again. He already does it once with his three friends. Now he's giving, he's deflecting and giving credit to God again. All right. We get that. So now look at what happens. It goes to chapter 30, I mean, verse 36, where Daniel interprets the dream. Now, because we don't have enough time, I want to give you. I want to cut to the chase on some things. He cuts. He, he cuts in here, and because of this, he, you know, he basically starts giving the interpretation. He talks about who the head of gold is. Who is it? It's him. King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says to the king, which is really, really powerful. And I'll have to look at the verses to see what I want you to read there. But we're in verses thirty-six to forty-five in this section. Okay, and then when Daniel begins to interpret this, he tells the king that he's the great image, right? Uh, or that he saw a great image. And then when he goes to uh, explain it in verse 36, he tells him this was the dream. And now we will tell you the interpretation, him and his three friends. You, O king, are the king of kings, right? The, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. So read verse 37 and 38, Mike. Your, your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over all of them. You are that head of gold. Okay. 
know what Daniel says? I love how he prefaced that. Daniel is basically saying this. King, you took the temple down in Jerusalem. You believe that you overtook God. You believe that Marduk and you know about all these other gods gave you victory and gave you success. Here's your dream. Now let me tell you what it means because the God who reigns supreme is the one who has revealed the future to you. You are the king of the head of gold in that image. And, and what you just read was what? It is God who gave you the authority. God the who dominion, put you yeah. in this place. It is God who has extended your power. It is God who has made you the head of all these people groups. Not you. Now, that's pretty frightening to say that to a king. Perhaps not, though, when you're the only one with the answer. Mm -hmm. And so he says this boldly to the king. But notice, in, he doesn't give you an interpretation of the next three kingdoms. Not at all. He talks about the first kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't talk about, you know, the, the, the uh, arms and, and chest of silver, right? The abdomen of bronze, the legs of iron, then the feet of partly iron, partly clay, which is still a part of that kingdom somehow. But then there's a fifth kingdom. The kingdom of the rock. Now he talks all about this. So when you see something like this in literature, you know that the first part and the last part are the two most important things. This is what he's expounding on. Right? So he expounds on that. And what does he say? King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the final part, right? When he interprets the dream toward verse 45. And what does he say about that rock? He says, uh, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. Uh, a rock so what does that mean? That not by God did it. This is God's doing. So go ahead. That a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Yes. So that rock is going to come from somewhere. It's got divine origin. It's going to hit that image on the feet. And then all the kingdoms will collapse. Oh, wait a minute. I thought Nebuchadnezzar did collapse and he fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. Then the Persians elevated themselves. Then they were taken on by Rome. And Rome conquered them. And then, well, how is there another king? What, what, what do you mean all five? Because he brings an end to all earthly rule. There is no more earthly rule. So all those kingdoms now have come to an end. Meaning... Man's rule on earth has come to man. And he gives him that, right? So you look at that and say, holy cow, then what, is, what happens to that kingdom, that rock? Then, um, well, the rock, the rock, the rock continues. It's, it's, that's, is so that your millennial it kingdom? It was earlier from, uh, he said it in verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Uh, so, so what is the kingdom? It's eternal. It's Who set it up? God did. So uh, it's divine origin. So it says that kingdom will never be left to another people, God's, except God's own people. Okay? So that's all believers in Christ today. And what did he say? He will bring them to an end. He's going to bring an end to earthly rule. So we just take those four or five things right there. Right? He's going to bring them to an end. 
and his kingdom, its king, shall stand forever. Now, when you look at that, Jesus is called the rock throughout Scripture. God is called the rock, right? So it says that he would do this, and that's, he says, this interpretation, okay, is trustworthy. Final thing, Nebuchadnezzar honors Daniel and his God. So many people have interpreted this as, this is so exciting, he came to know God, and now he's a, you know, monotheist, he's following only one God. doesn't say that. doesn't say that at all. In fact, we're going to find out later that's not the truth. What he does declare is that your God is the biggest God. He's the one with the most power. He's the one, you know what? I'm going to declare that everybody, you know, that Daniel's God is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And we're going to, you know, offer sacrifices, you know, or incense, burn incense to you, Daniel, and pay homage to you. And the king himself kneels down and bows down to Daniel. Why? Because that was a feat that no one could do. He had to hear from somebody up above. So the king is, is doing this. So we get this unbelievable picture. The tension has built. The hero has been saved, right? And, and, and now it's like, wow, until chapter three. Yeah, I was going to say, I love how fleeting it is with Nebuchadnezzar, right? <laughs> and another great thing before we end this, and then we'll take any questions, right? And some comments here for a few minutes. Wow. You're sitting on the edge of your seat. You're listening to this. You got a six act play and the tension kept building you don't know what's going to happen and right when you think you got it solved a new problem arises or a new tension is introduced all this happens and it's going on and now we see he talked to king nebuchadnezzar the head of gold and he talked about this other kingdom and as he's thinking through this and doing this you know daniel you know escapes it's awesome but it was a, a man of judah who did it and god wanted that to be known so his invisible hand made it so Daniel wasn't present at the exact moment that the king needed this. And then the tension builds between the conversation, the three exchanges with the Babylon with the Babylonian, you know, clerics, we'll call them. And they, they call on all their gods. And that tension builds, and oh my goodness, Daniel's gonna get killed too, because we know he's one of the wise men. Then Daniel bargains for time. God reveals the dream. God is setting this up behind the scenes, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Right? And when you think of that, it's just incredibly powerful. So, thoughts? Listen, I love all this. I, there's so many there's so many relations to Scripture in this between, um, you know, how someone who is in exile and considered nobody becomes the Lord brings him up, right? The Lord's hand in deliverance. Yes. I mean, so many, so many examples in the Bible. Uh, Jesus himself, who came of meager means, right? Um, even even the prophecy of, you know, the, the hand cut from rock. This, Jesus is called the rock. And yet he alludes to it in Matthew 21, 44. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Yes. Anyone whom, on, on whom it falls will be crushed. So Meaning what happens that in this one? God, right. God controls it all. There is nothing that can stop the rock of God. That's exactly That's it. why I love, I love that's how... that's the picture you just gave. Like, when we see that in the New Testament, this is an allusion to Daniel. That, you know, that... Christ is the rock, and if you humble yourself and fall on the rock, you will be broken, meaning humbled. Mm. But if the rock falls on you, you'll be crushed. And that's the two positions that are for all time, right? There's those that come to faith and those that don't. Mm -hmm. Those that are arrogant and say, I'll make my day in court and I'll, I'll tell God why I'm okay. <laughs> And God doesn't need you to tell him anything, no. and there won't be that day in court because God knows all things. Mm -hmm. 
So not going to happen. So, wow. So he talked about the beginning and the end, but what did he, what was the purpose of giving Nebuchadnezzar the dream? Daniel says it. So that he could see that, so that the mysteries could be revealed by the creator to him. So that he could know the future, that he could know the mystery. And when you think of this, that's, that's a wow factor, right? You look at this and, you know, so that kingdom, it's going to be set up by God. It's going to be, you know, on earth. It's going to be, it's going to end all previous, you know, earthly kingdoms. It'll be indestructible. So everlasting, right? It's always going to belong to the people of God. It's so funny because as obvious as the wake-up call should have been to Nebuchadnezzar, not that we don't miss like the obvious too sometimes, as obvious it should have been like, oh yes, this is God and he's doing this. He yes. still missed it until later in the, in the he, book. And that's not, a, you know why I'm not surprised by that? All the Egyptian people in during Moses' time, why? Because monotheism was an exception. Israel was a weird group. Monothe you of course there were gods and they believed the gods were localized. There wasn't any supreme being over all the so when you go to another land you worship the gods that are there you first thing you inquire of is what who are the gods here and let's worship them so daniel's now coming in as monotheistic so not surprised that that nebuchadnezzar doesn't fully grasp it yet he's going to but he doesn't fully grasp it yet but here's an interesting thing what about that fifth kingdom the rock cut out cut from not human hands right it comes from so all the other God kingdoms himself. had human origin. This one doesn't, and it's going to crush all those. Now, that's powerful. So it's holy other. It's divine intervention, right? But it's located on earth. That That's pretty interesting. And the human sovereignties are destroyed, mm. right? So that is, an, I think, exceptional um, when you think of it. So when you go back through here and you look at all this, it's... It's just such a powerful picture. And we can read, you know, I'm not going to do New Testament. We don't have time. I guess we're going to have to kind of stop it right there. But it, I, this is, there's so much to say about this, this passage. And it's going to lead us into the, to the rest. So any last minute thoughts while we have a minute left here? God is good. God That's is, all I'm going to say. God is good. Awesome. Right? He is awesome. And... You know, when we think of it, what is he beginning to reveal to the people of Israel? That I'm not gone. I'm not less powerful. I, I planned all this. One of the most amazing things about this this book, because you know what, they're at the they're at the lowest of lows. They don't have anything tangible in their minds that they can even hold on to to say, oh, this is where God is. No, all that's gone. So anyone hearing the story would say, we have nothing but nothing left, not exactly. realizing who God is. Exactly. And thinking God got defeated. But God immediately in chapter one shows him he showed favor to to Ariok, to Daniel. He he he's the one that sent King Nebuchadnezzar. So that's all there. And you know, I hope um, you know, if you're listening, you know, to this podcast that you know you'll listen to the whole series. Um, it's gonna get into very detailed prophetic things, and it's an exciting, exciting book. So I think that's what we have. Mike, why don't you close us out in prayer? Oh. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your words being delivered through um, through Jeff. Just to go out to listening ears, Lord, um, to sow good seed, Lord. And uh, if you're out there and you hear this and you you want to know about the Lord, pray, Lord, repent. I'm 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 a sinner, Lord. Come into my heart, guide me, and um, and save me. And um, 
we know if you will pray that and and want to get into the word and learn of the lord and love him that listen life will definitely change in an amazing way that you would never expect um, but lord we thank you for this day and um, look forward to doing this again praise you jesus Amen. good night everybody Amen.